0: And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code FAKETHENATION at the checkout, and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code Nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash FAKETHENATION. And Miracle so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.comslash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this. Episode This is a Headgum podcast. Um okay Boo, you have to you have to do more announcer reads the oh. episode the episode number.
1: Oh, okay. I mean does it improve your show in any way?
0: Um I don't I don't want to answer existential questions like that right now. So can you Can you just do the announcer reads? Sure. Okay, here we go.
1: Fake the Nation, episode 305.
0: Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we deeply roll our eyes at Elon Musk, who apparently is wondering if this Twitter deal is good for him. I'm your host, Nageen Farsad, and I kind of always felt like this Twitter deal would fall apart and that Musk is maybe only in love with being a trending topic. You know what I mean? Uh, like, did we really think this Twitter thing was going to happen? Anyways, today... We will not talk about him. Instead, we'll talk about the truly awful events in Buffalo. We'll delve into the larger topic of how to handle grief, and we'll dip into a cultural grab bag that includes himbos, corporate virtue signaling, and fast food astrology. Today, oh my God, today's panel is just delectable. Just one of the best panels. Um, we have rejoining our show. You've heard him here many times before. Uh, I've seen him just uh, just obliterate audiences as a stand-up comedian he's just so so funny he's host of the daily podcast stand-up with pete dominic you can see him at the fairfield comedy club on some future date that i didn't write down (laughs) with
1: june 11th june 11th oh
0: june 11th no and i really specifically want to very seriously promote this show because it is pete dominic christian finnegan and ophira eisenberg you may as well call this a Fake the Nation Extended Universe stand-up comedy tour that they're doing, okay? Because they are all alum of this show. It is bound to be excellent. Uh, so make sure that on June 11th, you go to the Fairfield Comedy Club in Yale, old Connecticut. Um, and the uh, other person on our panel, oh my God, we had her on the show once before. It was before the pandemic, we were all different people then um, But still uh, With a with a, a core of delight That radiates off of this person I'm so glad that she's back uh, This is the official release Of her new book The Modern Loss Handbook It's an interactive guide To moving through grief And building your resilience um, Which I'm so excited to pick up I'm, I've been waiting for this book She's also the co-founder Of the Modern Loss community uh, You've heard her on here before She's so excellent I've, I've just been Devouring um, her op eds and pieces around uh, the internet. She is the one and only Rebecca Sofer. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Nagin.
2: So great to be back here. So oh great. Oh, my God.
0: So great to have you both. And before we get into it, I just want to remind audiences this is the last time you're going to hear me talk about my headlining. But I'm going to be at Joe's Pub on May 21st and May 22nd here in New York City. So again, Joe's Pub, May 21st and May 22nd. I hope you can come out and see that. And Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me has just announced their June um, dates for uh, the Wait, Wait Comedy Tour. That'll be in Denver and in in, um, Salt Lake City. I'll be on those two cities, Denver and Salt Lake City um, in June. (laughs) date unknown a a particular weekend in June so um this is what happens when I don't write things down and I don't remember but look at but I will figure that out at some point and I will let you know specifics but also you could just google it okay um but I would love to see you in any of these places oh my gosh my favorite thing in the world is seeing fake the nation audience members in the wild. Um, especially when they come and say hi. And sometimes they don't, which I find very interesting um, because theoretically I should be easy to talk to and if I'm not giving off that vibe, what am I doing wrong? Oh my God. But also maybe you're trying to beat the traffic and you just gotta go. And I also get that. All right, you know what? I'm gonna shut up because we're gonna get into the show with topic number one. So by now you've heard that a teenager got hold of a gun and killed 10 people at a supermarket in Buffalo. The victims were black and the shooting was racially motivated. Um, This is obviously horrible, but I just wanted to hear, I guess, just your initial thoughts when you heard the news, Pete.
1: Well, it was the kind of thing it happened, I believe, on a Saturday. And I looked at it and I thought immediately, I thought the rest of the weekend when I try not to look at the news – the rest of the weekend, it would be there, and and I would be thinking about it, and I would be affected by it. I immediately knew my weekend would change, which is a pretty you know privileged kind of thing to say. It didn't happen. Oh, my weekend is ruined. Uh, but it, it's and then you know you immediately they immediately identified the motivation, and almost you know everybody, the official authorities uh, from the sheriff to the mayor said it was a white supremacist, you know, racist who did it and then you just think of how different it must be to be a person who is in a category of targeted people you know including women and obviously black and brown people gay people and 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 then i think you recognize in my case, my privilege and that somebody's generally not targeting me because I'm a a white guy, although it could happen, but I don't think about it. I don't live in fear about it. And I just felt that kind of gratefulness and and sadness about it. And then I think finally, I I thought about, well, not finally, I thought about the families and how how, how they would react, you know, in, in the Charleston church shooting, I never say the names of the shooters, but in the Charleston church shooting, all of the families there forgave the shooter in that case. And I'm, you know, I I wouldn't judge them if they didn't, but I wondered how these families would deal with it. And then I guess finally I thought about how I, I should talk about it on my podcast. And so I, I ended up having a former gun manufacturer executive who's written a book called gun fight, just basically pulling back the curtain on how horrible uh, the gun industry is. And of course the greatest anti-racist speaker and writer, and, and, and I think around Tim Wise on the show to, to try to understand it and then look, forward as to what, if anything, can be done outside of just admitting that we have uh, a a real virus that has no vaccine uh, called racism in this country. Now, uh,
0: Rebecca, you have a particular lens with which to talk about this, but we're going to get into that in topic number dose. Um, But here, I wanted to see what just like politically
2: um where where did your mind go uh, i mean honestly like pete said it was the weekend i had just moved through the the news Cycle of Friday, where we, I think they were talking about, oh, we're hitting the million death mark with COVID. You know, it's just like the news, it hasn't been that happy lately, right? And I'm sitting in New York and I'm like wondering when I'm going to get taken down by COVID again, right? I'm just like waiting. And so I was like, oh, maybe the weekend will be like just this minor respite. And then all of a sudden, of course, this news broke. And yeah, like my, I, I, I mean, my first reaction was just like my, the pit in my stomach, like just thinking, I remember thinking about like the weekend when like the Tree of Life um, massacre happened in Pittsburgh, because it was a weekend. I just remember thinking like, and then I, the, the, the second thought I had was like, we're we're never going to be able, like the days are gone when we're just going to like pick up the paper to read and it's not going to carry some like emotional charge, like some traumatic charge. Like this is just not the world we live in anymore. And it just made me terrified. I mean, my, I have, you know, family members who are black and brown, my best friends who are black and brown, thinking about just the victim. I, 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 you know, I deal in loss and grief every day. So I, the first thing I do is think about the people who are surviving those who died and all the things that they must be going through, especially due to like a traumatic, awful loss, and just how just impotent I feel and sad and ashamed. I'm ashamed of our country right now. I'm. I, it's like a sickness. This racism that. I'm just ashamed.
1: By the way, Rebecca picks up picks up the paper. What are you, eighty? <laughs>
2: I do think of the paper. I would like, I, I'd like physically bad. I, I get the Sunday times. Okay, Wait, please, can I just crazy. say, uh, yes, I get one paper a week.
0: Okay. Can I just say the weekend or the printed weekender is very popular in my building. And like, nobody is even retirement age in my building. Like everyone's
2: kind nice of young, hear. but there's something That's, about the physical paper. Okay. <laughs> but your, I will say it is, it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a tradition kind of thing. And like, I, they do pile up, but is uh, it true that, that you pick
1: Sunday up the paper, paper and like, unfold it and go now he's here, see?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I no longer read it on the subway I'll tell she, you that much She immediately
0: turns into like a 1930s like <laughs> Jimmy Stewart character um, So so one thing that you both brought up is like the, the sort of pattern building that we're doing because in 2015 we saw the Charleston Massacre as you mentioned Pete and in 2018 we saw the anti-Semitic Pittsburgh uh, Massacre In 2019 we saw the anti-Hispanic Massacre in El Paso um, So there's obviously a growth pattern pattern there's also the Christchurch massacre. I mean, there's, there's, there's also patterns in other countries. Um, and so, so this is, this is a bit of a global phenomenon where like majority white countries are sort of feeling, um, um, are, are drawn to something that th- called the great replacement theory. And obviously the great replacement theory is just that like, you know, immigrants are replacing, you know, native born white people. Um, And one of the people who kind of prominently discusses this is Tucker Carlson. You know, it's gone are the days where like the the replacement theory was kind of like talked about in back rooms and like Mm -hmm. 5chan or whatever. It's now actually just on Fox News. I mean, the good here's let me give you one silver lining about Tucker Carlson being the main proponent uh, mainstream proponent of the great replacement theory is that. Uh, he doesn't have any listeners under the age of 54, and 94% of his audience is white. So we sort of like – it's a very targeted group. So we know where the problem is. You know what I mean? Well, I would, so I would just um, – I,
1: I always think that's a dangerous thing to say because you're talking about the actual demographics of people who watch his show. But the, re- the young people watch the clips from his show on on the internet – And I just do have to ask you a question um, because I think it's always cool about your family, the Farsads. You replaced a white family, but you knew them. (laughs) You knew the Smiths and you knew what you were doing. We were
2: really nice about it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the whole thing about this great replacement theory is like what the idea that like liberals whites Jews or, or Jews like people of color like, we're coming to replace like isn't hasn't we, haven't we proven that there's literally enough room for everybody in this world to do what they're going to
1: do no we have not
2: well I mean I know I I know that's like a rhetorical question that you're going to say we have not but like I literally can't believe it's like I can't understand how someone <laughs> could not want we are Ro desperate v- <laughs> so many
1: there are so many industries that are desperate right now in this economy for immigrant labor. They're so desperate, agriculture, uh, meat packing. I mean, they don't have enough people, landscaping. And so the proof is we need a lot more of them and we're making it as hard as possible for them to get in, much less to stay in, much less to, while they're here, work. And, and the other thing that's just so frustrating is so many of these people, my neighbor across the street, he's got a big picture window so I can look in and see what he's watching. He, I know him enough <laughs> that he's a right winger. <laughs>
0: Uh, Pete has some, uh, you know, on-his-own-time ho- hobbies that we're learning about right yeah, now. Yeah, I
1: watch my neighbor's TV, and it's a, <laughs> it's got Fox News constantly. And, yes, I also watch everything else that's going on in the house. Anyway, he he's watching Fox News. He's watching Tucker Carlson per- perpetuate these, you know, horrible racist theories while – He's got them working in his lawn while he's angry about them coming in. It's just insane to watch it happen.
2: You know what my dad always used to say that some people, their mindset would be is don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. You know, people just like they want to say what they want to say they believe and they don't care if they're being hypocrites about the rest of it. And like what kills me is that. Tucker Carlson said this line about how, I, I mean, I'm not like quoting it verbatim about how like you, everyone, it, it's really a mental illness problem and it's mental health awareness month and this guy was mentally ill. We shouldn't be talking about him as being racist. Like, are we really going to use that? Like, then you're pulling like mental health into it and you're like distorting that message. Yeah, no, and the, uh, like, the, it's gross.
1: All of the nine eleven hijackers were, they were all mentally ill. They right. were not terrorists. They were just mentally ill. Right.
2: They, they were just depressed.
1: Yeah. yeah, they, they had the sides. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and I and I do, I mean, like, let's talk a little bit about um, solutions. I mean, as we always do when there's mass murder, we talk about gun laws. OK, so that's obviously something we can keep talking about. The real issue is we need to mobilize voters to get people into office that actually will enact better gun laws. So that's like the the you know the primary thing that needs to happen we talk about voter mobilization on this show all the time uh i continue to just want everyone to be mobilized as a voter and to mobilize their friends as voters and just votey vote 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 uh so that i think is the the gun law discussion um but but there's also something about like i don't know Engaging young men. I mean, um, Pete, you have kids. Is there? And, and one of the things that came out about this particular attacker is that he um, is that he was sort of bored during the pandemic uh, and didn't wasn't seeing enough people or whatever. So sort of like took refuge in 4chan or wherever he found these things, Reddit or whatever and so what do we do about kind of engagement of the, of young men or just young people in particular
1: well there's a lot that can be done and we can do so much at, at to strike at the at the root which is what has to be done and it starts at home of course but it also happens at school and right now we are in the fight and last night I'm Today is probably one of the greatest days of my life because last night, seriously, we won a hard-fought two seats at the Board of Education, and we beat the anti-CRT people in my town. And we organized, and we knocked on doors, and we did everything you had to do for two months. And it is the greatest thing I've ever been involved with. And so we have to make sure that in our schools we are – teaching diversity and equity and inclusion we are making specifically the white kids understand the truth because we don't have to teach that to the black kids the gay kids even girls about you know you're talking about men and 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 we're talking about incels and, and misogyny and sexism all of that stuff needs to be taught there needs to be uh, critical, important conversations ab- about all of that in schools because it's not necessarily happening at home. And so I think that it, it, it really is super important that we do that in school. So I would argue that everybody listening can get involved in their local board of education. It does not matter if you have kids in the school. There's no more sitting around. You have to be involved with a campaign. And I, let me just say this. I used to not get involved with campaigns because I was so Part of you know my entire career is media. I'm doing media. I'm doing great things with the show. I'm you know I, in my free time I, I want to be able to not have to think about it, and I would be worried about it. being involved in this BOE campaign. I made like forty new best friends. It was fun.
0: <laughs> I say that all the time. It should be fun. It is fun. It yes. was
1: amazing. So get involved at the BOE to make sure that schools are are are, are teaching. And I also just add, we need to right now changing legislation would be amazing that's going to be tough and even if we do the supreme court that that is from 1350 the year will will overturn these things and so we need to create safe spaces we need to make sure that women who want abortions have a place you know and a way to get there and if there's a family being targeted in my town there was a specific family black family being targeted and we made sure that they were they were protected it's not government it's not uh you know it's, it's neighbors yeah it's neighbors
2: Rebecca, where are you at? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, I agree with everything Pete said, although I think the Supreme Court is maybe at this point from 100 years earlier than 1350 right now. That's
1: probably true. Let's
2: be honest. Um, But, you know, I I think, like, He's so right because I, I have a five and an eight year old right and I have two white boys we're Jewish but you know they're white and they we so you're still replacing I'm still replacing everyone like I still have, I'm still in the cabal you know with the evil plan but it doesn't maybe look like it right because I have like a blonde five year old and no that's their um,
1: last name Rebecca's la- the replacers. yeah they're...
2: right that's my, yeah. yeah that was that was my name from the shtetl um before we changed it at Ellis Island but uh you know I think I never realized the importance of the stuff that Pete's talking about until the last year or so like importance of getting involved in the board of education and the school board like you think of school board and you think of like you know small really beans really tiny little things that don't mean a lot and are really boring low stakes and now you yeah, think yeah, of, yeah. well are they banning a book in my kids library that's showing a different way of thinking I mean like it, it, it's terrifying and I agree I am I'm also getting involved and besides that though I do think we have to do better at home I do and I don't think I think there are a lot of people in this country who have no intention of doing that at home talking to their kids about things that are happening in Buffalo about the way people think but those of us who are open to it really do need to kind of level up at this moment and figure out a way to meet our kids at the level that they're at with their age and their understanding to share this stuff I mean I had a hard conversation with my eight-year-old the other day and I was like am I gonna traumatize him by telling him that like 10 people were just mowed down in Buffalo. But I figured out a way to do it where he wasn't going to go to bed and have nightmares. And I was assuring him that he was safe in this moment and this and that. But like, he needs to know that people are hated just because of the way they look or what's in their DNA. He has to know that so that he can have empathy and he can understand what it must feel like to to know that at any point in time that could happen to you. Um, and we do a lot of talking about that in my house, you know, we, we do. And, and I, I don't like that we have to do it, but it, it, it seems a lot easier to talk about this stuff to, to be a victim or, or a mourner of somebody who was murdered. So I will, I'll level up there, you know.
0: Um I love that you talk about uh, that you talk about it at home and, and my kids still 3 so it's like I don't I don't feel the the urge just yet and I'm like nervous about when I do have to talk about it so I'll be knocking on your door. Well, you know what you can do in the meantime mm-hmm.
2: what we did do was because my kids so my kids started out going to kindergarten at a very progressive school in Manhattan and then COVID happened and like everything changed. Really progressive. They have like woke story hour and it's 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 an amazing place. And um so we were really encouraged to even like with our littler kids have books at home that show different types of people that didn't just show like white boys and so we do have a lot of different books at home just visually that's a way to help you get a message through to your three-year-old without putting like the pressure on you verbally
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that. Yeah. I mean, I have like my kid has dolls of every color and like, you know what I mean? It's like we're we're, you know, I think that's
1: too um, far. We only have white dollies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you're involved in the Board of Education. You can only do so much. Yeah, I least- also just want to say, like, how many of these things are so
0: interrelated, because to me, again, it's about voting. It's about getting out and voting and, and bring and putting more um I forget the word progressive. If that's like a trigger for some people, enlightened. people in line, people who believe that if if average people have more resources and it doesn't matter if they're white or black or whatever if they have more resources like healthcare, education, job security, and some kind of civic engagement, they're gonna be less likely to fall through the cracks like this kid in Buffalo, right? And so we need, I mean, we just generally need more resources for people so that the stress and anxiety of financial life doesn't put people into um drawn doesn't make them drawn to these fringe ideologies so uh again I think it's about what we can do as as voters and it's and I also think that like when we're talking about these things I don't I think we should really be talking to everybody it's not just all about young white men right it is about everyone um knowing all of the stories Uniformly, because I'm telling you right now, I've met brown people who are equally racist. You know what I mean? And in odd, compartmentalized ways, but it still happens. So it's like everybody needs, you know, the bulletin on this. All right. Let you folks, let me know. What are you doing? How are you feeling? It's obviously real shit. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Hit me up on um, the social medias that I also encourage you to never look at. Okay, and let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we are gonna get into other things. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app And I know you guys are like me, and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering, and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you. With a click of a button, it's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for. That I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fakethenation. Rocketmoney.com slash nation, you guys.
2: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana.
0: We are back. And before we get into topic number two, I want to do a quick electoral contest to watch, formerly known as Races to Watch. Um, I want to thank Magdalene, who told us about Kate Craig, who is running for Tennessee State Senate in District 3. Uh, she has really interesting background that evolves, I don't know, working as a contractor for the government and like motorcycles and just like a ton of stuff. She's, she seems really interesting. Look her up. Kate Craig, uh, running for state Senate in district three of Tennessee. Um, and also, I don't know where I got this, but Brian Fernandez in Arizona's District 23 is also running for State Senate. Um, again, that's Brian Fernandez in Arizona, uh, District 23, running for State Senate. Take a look. And again, we talked about the, these Board of election seats um, that Pete fought for. Uh, the state Senate seats are maybe also similarly less glamorous, but so important. sure. sure um because hey guess what they could keep the lights on at abortion clinics at the at the state level right if we had all the right representatives yeah i mean
1: the one good example just to jump in is uh, the gun laws you know people always talk about nothing ever changes you kill kids you kill people you know in the the grocery store nothing ever changes congress never does anything that's true congress never does in the u.s congress well Democrats always do something. President Obama did everything he possibly could. They just didn't have the votes. Republicans don't do anything. But at the state level that you're talking about, there are a ton of states, including mine, New York and Connecticut, that have really strict gun laws, which obviously correspond with lower gun violence. So you can get a lot done at the state law. You mentioned, you know, women's reproductive rights, but there's so much that can be done and you can have a huge effect on those local elections. And it is so satisfying. I'm in the light right now.
0: Absolutely. Uh, okay, so keep them coming. Races to watch. Uh, electoral contests to watch. Uh, hit me up at fake the Nation at com. You can also hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. And you can email me through my website. And there's just many, many ways of getting in touch uh, and letting us know about the races that you're watching. All right, let us get into topic number two. So we have Rebecca on the show today. And I thought she has the new book, um, The Modern Loss Handbook. And I thought it would be a great... Uh, time to pick her brain about her expertise on grief and one thing I, I was reading um, a, a piece she wrote for Time Magazine And in it, you wrote, um, I can't imagine is something that you heard a lot from people who would talk to you after they found out that your parents had died. Uh, You you said, I can't imagine felt like the opposite of an invitation. It felt like a warning. Don't even try to share. I won't get it. But if my grief was too hard for me and it was too hard for others, what was I supposed to do with it? So I thought first we could talk about this moment where people, because this is really, common obviously for all of us who may not be you know experiencing grief we're we come uh we end up speaking to people like you in those situations and we say the wrong I mean I don't know about you Pete but I feel like every time I'm talking to someone who's experiencing grief I'm just Fumbling and ma- saying everything wrong.
1: I don't. I don't talk to people who are experiencing grief. I avoid them.
2: Oh, they're so okay. <laughs> so that's. <yeah. laughs> right, so I'm gonna leave this meeting. I'm, I'm leave meeting.
1: <laughs> I see them. I see them coming. I see them. No, I. I, I it's. I, I. think it's a. First of all, Rebecca's book and work, and we worked together at the Colbert Report, and she's always been a brilliant person. But this is such an important subject. And it's such an important book. And I think it's a third rail to some extent in a sacred cow. And people don't want to talk about this issue. And I am, you know, so impressed with you, Rebecca, for for this work. It's 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 really something that obviously we all need to talk about. And, and there's a lot, you know, uh, I don't know much about the subject, but I do know I do realize that. Western nations, certainly the United States of America, has a has a tough time with death and almost believes that we're not going to die. And so, you know, it's a cultural thing a- as well. So we d- we just don't deal with it uh, much less with it well. And yeah, I think
0: it's it's like we kind of treat it like oh, you need a couple of days off work for right. a funeral,
2: <laughs> I, and then yeah. that's it. I saw a TikTok um, thingy. Did I just age myself by calling it a thingy? Because I don't a TikTok tiktok a tiktok i i saw a tiktok the other day and it was like a guy simulating what it's like like to have corporate non-support when you're going through something hard and it was like the viewpoint like you're the corpse and like the guy is leaning into the casket saying it looks like you're gonna be off for like a few days um you look like you might be out for a while do you think beforehand you could like get me that thing and like that's literally the way that we deal with it that's the way we deal with in this culture we are very much like pull yourself up by your emotional bootstraps we are the united states like apparently we don't like fixing things like racism or gun violence but we do like fixing things like um i don't know the undeniability of immortality we like to ignore that (laughs) fact whereas that's literally the one given in life which is that if you care about somebody you're gonna grieve you know and the thing is is that um We're all experiencing that, you know, and I think it's not hard to understand what it feels like to grieve because we're in the third year of a pandemic that has not only killed officially 1 million people, by the by, that number is probably 200,000 more than that. And there's something called a bereavement. Do you guys know what a bereavement multiplier is? It's really depressing. It basically suggests <laughs> great, that great, for great. every so ready for de- it. yeah, I'm gonna just, yes, so it's, um, <laughs> feel, I'm the feel good guest of the week. Um, it, it basically suggests that for every COVID death, there are nine people directly affected. So it could be a partner, a child, a grandparent. It could be so many different relationships that are meaningful. You know, like a business partner who relies on them. Um, so just imagine, just like doing basic math, which is all I'm capable of doing, nine million people. In this country alone, officially, are grieving a COVID death. Not to mention all the, like, people are still dying in car accidents of old age, of illness, et cetera. And then beyond that, you know, we're all grieving. Like, we've had an onion of layers of grief over the last couple of years. We've, we've, we're grieving the loss of our, our past, the loss of our perceived control over our lives, the loss of roles and of like coping mechanisms of being able to do stuff in person easily still, which I, I still have trouble doing certain things in person right now I mean we're grieving like kind of like looking at like the warmth of a country and being like oh like kind of like I didn't realize that like you had such a problem wearing a mat like I'm looking at you in a different way now like we're grieving our relationships so we all know what it feels like right now to understand that feeling of like fear and vulnerability and like literally not knowing what like the next day will look like the next year will look like because we just this pandemic is proving we have no control and everything is turned upside down. So like my my one hope from this awfulness is that we can all take a beat for like just a second and think about oh I do know what it feels like to grieve and maybe if there's someone in my life like even a coworker or a friend who's going through it I can understand that like I know what it feels like to be really scared and uncertain and maybe that's what they're feeling too. And maybe I can, like, be less crappy at supporting them. And it's actually not that hard. It's not that hard to support someone. That's, that's the secret.
1: Did Nagin freeze?
2: I think she did.
1: I'll take over. Um, <laughs> Dude, please. What is the impetus for this book and this work? Like, how do you go from where you went in comedy and, and, and television to...
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely was not something that I grew up wanting to do. I mean, I I wasn't like a seven year old being like, one day I'd like to start a grief community. Like, I didn't know the word grief. Um, I had two parents. I had a great suburban life outside Philly. Uh, I had a really happy childhood. And then when I was at Colbert, when I was I was thirty, I was you know working in you know daily. TV production. And my mom was killed in a car accident. And that was like my entry point into the world of after of like what it's like to feel like you're at least in my particular like age and my stage in life of like, I felt like I was very, very much in build mode. You know, I was 30. I was single. I had my like crappy Jennifer convertible at home. Like I definitely felt like I had not officially started my life yet. Um, But all of a sudden, I was also navigating profound loss and I didn't understand how to do both of those things simultaneously and also be surrounded by other people who were in such build mode that while they were amazing people, like, I mean, you and I, like, don't you agree that, like, the Colbert people, it's like, we're still family? It's like we're kind of related forever, Right.
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean I, and I was only there for twenty minutes a night and I still felt that way. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. It was it's, very it's,
2: familial yeah. and like by the way, like so many of the the staff members came to my mom's funeral in a rented van. It was like a huge unmarked van. It literally looked like Sinister, but then they all came out and it was like a clown car of colleagues at, my, at the, my mom's funeral. But then afterwards, like we were back to the grind. And it's not like anyone really had the wherewithal to kind of like stop me at 2pm and like check in on me when like we were racing so much. I felt very, very isolated. I felt like I was going insane because I couldn't really talk about it. And I was in this like work schedule where it's not like I could be like, oh, it's 11. I'm going to go see my grief counselor. Like this was a real production job. Um, And so it just, I guess like feeling so lonely and feeling like I didn't have a lot of people who I could talk to about grief in a way that like wasn't super lame. Like I didn't need to do it in a way that involved like prayer hands or platitudes and Anytime anybody said, like, it takes a year, or they're in a better place, like, I just wanted to automatically throw up on them. I was like, that wasn't helping. And, like, the things that really helped were just feeling like I could just talk like a human person to another human person who wouldn't make me feel weird about the fact that, like, I did not choose this to happen to me. You know, it's not like I chose, like, to live with grief, but I'm living with it and I need to talk about it, about how messy it is in a way that is still going to make me feel like a person, you know, and that isn't going to make me feel like I can only talk about it with like a therapist or like, you know, at the water cooler, you know, I just wanted it to be a normal thing.
1: I'm going to keep asking questions. And if Nagin wants, she can just record them in her voice. Because (laughs) I'm fascinated by your work. And I think one of the things that you write about and talk about is how to talk to people and how to be with different types of losses. Like when someone died, was she sick? Yeah, like things in you know the questions that we ask. You want to say the appropriate thing. You have good intentions, but then it, it, the, the person who's who's suffered the loss in your case, like they they, they don't want to hear it. Or it, it's not you know it's not your fault. You had good intentions, but they get triggered. They get upset by it. So it's like teaching people the problem is, why we don't talk to people about losses because we we don't know what to say. And I think teaching exactly. people a language is really probably something we all could learn a lot from i mean
2: you're right on i mean like i'm not saying like god you guys are all such assholes like you have it out for everybody who's grieving that's not the case like in spite of everything that we were just talking about in the first part of the show i seem to somehow have hope in humanity and think that most people like you know are are decent and want to help others i i do believe that that's the only way i can keep going on But we don't do a good job of normalizing this topic in our culture. And so we just don't have the language, like you said. And it's about learning a language. It's about learning that, like, when you're imposing what makes you feel comfortable onto somebody who really needs comfort, that's not comforting them. That's just doing it for yourself. Like, when you're assuring someone, like, someone's in a better place, that's, like, maybe making you feel better. Maybe it makes you feel better thinking that, like, if you lose a person, they'll be in a better place. But I can nearly guarantee you that even, like, a person of deep faith, you know, in, in, in an extreme moment of grief may not be comforted by an assurance that like someone is in a better place like there's a lot of rage there's a lot of anger there's a lot of sadness that goes into this and like you just have to assume that you don't know anything when you're talking to someone who's grieving you have to assume that you shouldn't assure them of anything unless they ask you to you have to assume that you shouldn't say it takes it you shouldn't like stick to like an assurance of a timeline or like where their person is because I'm sure that the that person would rather they be like walking on earth in a very healthy way with them. Um, And also just like, you got to make them feel acknowledged. Like we were just talking about what happened in Buffalo and like, how do we catch these kids, you know, before they turn into people who do something so gruesome and hateful. Um, You got to make someone feel acknowledged before they fall through a crack. Like you have to make them feel acknowledged in their pain, in their isolation, in their loneliness. It's not that hard to do. If you don't feel acknowledged, it's really hard to start healing and building resilience. And and, what, you know?
1: Our host is back.
2: Oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Peter Rebecca show now, sorry. (laughs) I
0: can't wait to listen to this episode to hear what you said in the minutes that my Zoom was woefully, had woefully kicked me out. Um, Okay, well, we're going to move on. And I know that you were um, obviously brilliant in whatever you just said. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no editing needed uh, Rebecca just answered my questions about her book which I think you would have asked anyway so they were really okay, good okay
0: amazing yeah yeah I, I'm oftentimes superfluous in the very show that I host so it's uh <laughs> it's a great feeling and a realization that I made a long long time ago especially when I have people um, like Pete and Rebecca on okay let us move on to topic number three uh, so we're going to dip into the cultural grab bag of stuff this week our producer Danielle was reading Rolling Stone as she's known to do and found a piece on the burgeoning popularity of himbos (laughs) who are internet hunks willing to go shirtless in the name of freedom or something Uh, that is the definition according to Rolling Stone have you seen this himbo phenomenon online and what do you think Uh, Rebecca this is what we like to call
2: a 180 degree turn from what you were just talking about (laughs) it really is um so I um I I have heard of the himbo phenomenon and I feel like great like you do you I'm I'm all for anything that anyone wants to do which isn't hurting themselves or anyone else I say fly that flag you know where if you're gonna if you would like to uh, you know ob- objectify yourself in a way that's self-deprecating and you're nice to look at like wh- why not you know like I I personally I feel like we have so many things that we could really like rend our clothes over are we not going to are we going to make himbo one of them at this point <laughs> no i think we can yeah, celebrate, celebrate Himbo. I, I mean yeah. first there of all there should be a himbo
0: so, day, a himbo, a himbo day. To me, <laughs> yeah this is national himbo day officially um and to me it's like okay uh i guess i'd rather this that, like, look, do I wish all these people were at, you know, were really interested in astrophysics instead of taking their shirts off? Like, totally. But that first of all, taking your shirts off and astrophysics are not mutually exclusive. Like, you can do both. Exactly. Um, Be fair, Nikki. By the way, <laughs> where are my astrophysicist himbos? I feel some TikToks emerging. Um, And I also think, like, you know, if I have to choose between, like, himbos and QAnon, I'd obviously choose a himbo path for most people. Uh, Pete, where uh, are you a himbo, Pete? Do you do chores around the house shirtless (laughs) and then tape
2: yourself?
1: Yes. Yes, I'm a himbo. <laughs>
2: well, what is your himbo and name? And that's the end of our what show. What is your himbo name? Because one of the himbos I was reading about, he calls himself Farmer Will. So yes. who are you, Pete?
1: Uh, I'm Pete the Meat. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, yeah. my, my uh, basically my, I do a lot of grilling. Um, so it's like me shirtless. shirtless. It's yeah. shirtless with an apron. And it exactly. says on it, "This ain't no dad bod." And basically, I've got four million followers wow. because I just grill meat.
0: Yeah, you grill meat and you fo- you fight the board of elections like that's.
1: Or the yeah, board got, of the board, I'm a the, very, I'm a Renaissance, renaissance guy. Yeah. I think that I don't know. I I I love uh, TikTok. I you know, but I'm at a point now. I like social media. I like looking at it. And I'm 46 and I feel it's inappropriate to like look at like women on social media. It feels a little bit like just it just feels a little weird, you know, at this point, raising daughters. And like just I feel a little guilty about that. I'm not opposed to fantasizing and, and, and thinking, you know, about sex and sexuality and all that. I think it's all fine and normal. But I. I'm now drawn to like, when I'm on TikTok, I'm not drawn to like attractive women, much less young, attractive women, uh, much less young, attractive men. I am very attracted. My TikTok is like uh, couples playing pranks on each other. That's what I do. <laughs>
0: what? I That's did not know that I'm was a in field life. of TikTok.
1: That's where I'm at in my life. So, you know, I haven't, I was, I, I read about this to to talk to you guys. I wasn't familiar with the himbo uh, trend, And I think it's a little bit derogatory, but I will say this, the idea that men need more of a thing. I think we're good. I'd say I think we're good. We got it. We got it all still. So.
0: I want to say that Farmer Will in particular, you know, he was asked what, what kind of motivates him and he's actually in it. To educate people about farming. So he does a lot of like farming stuff, but then we'll do like a little bit of a thirsty dance in the middle of like some sort of farming. And he wants people to get excited about his farm and farming in general, whatever. And I sort of thought. Like that all sounds like you know Margot Robbie explaining credit default swaps in The Big Short. You know what I mean? <laughs> in a it's bikini. like it's maybe what we just need is just like uh, some abs telling us about you know teaching us about agriculture or abs again teaching us about yes. astrophysics or abs. Te- like what can abs teach us?
2: So many things, you know. So many. The sky's the limit. Hey, they so were onto I, something in Gypsy where that song You Gotta You Gotta Get a Gimmick, you know? I mean and exactly. <laughs> and if that gimmick is abs as a as a conduit to farming knowledge yeah you know there are worse things I didn't know how
0: fundamental gypsy was to humanity <laughs> it, it exactly. really it really is a musical was really fundamental okay so here's another one um, from the cultural grab bag um, this also veers into the political because a lot of companies are now offering um, to pay for travel if people have to get an abortion um so so for example starbucks is among them microsoft amazon there are they're all offering versions of this um i don't know benefit what are we calling this uh, necessary feature of work life uh do you what do you think about that is it is it virtual signaling or is it like or is it
2: real impact you know, I, I have to say, I have been reading about this and I haven't read about it as much as I would have liked to because last week has been kind of crazy. But, you know, my first reaction when I heard this maybe a week or two ago was like, yes, of course they should. And then it made me really, really sad that women were going to have to feel like they had to share this stuff with right, their employers. Right, with their employer it, that, at was, Starbucks. that was literally yeah. my visceral, like my first reaction was like, yeah, like, hell yeah, like they should absolutely do this. Also, I wish they had done more beforehand. These corporations to use like their lobbying money, so that we wouldn't be in this position. Right, right, and then right. so it was like it was like um, an agreement, and then it was like a lot of anger, and then it was even more anger. Um, yeah. Thinking how unfair it is to female employees that they now need to go to freaking HR and be like, "I need an abortion. Can you cover that?" I mean, it's so awful. It breaks my heart. So that's my overarching like reaction to that.
1: I think that's a really good point that you made about all these super wealthy, influential corporations could have done something yeah. to prevent yeah. this by not donating to certain yeah. politicians' campaigns and so on. But at the same time, you know, I'll, I'll, I I think that we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. This is the the situation we find ourselves in, and we would be highly critical of these organizations, these companies, if they didn't do these kinds of thing, kind of things, frankly, I think they're ahead of the curve uh, and, and I'm, and I give them credit because the idea that like somehow a giant corporation or company is going to do the right thing uh, is, is, you know, you have to be pretty cynical to think that's, not the case. And so when they do, and when they're ahead of it, when they're acting enlightened or progressive, whatever you want to call it, I I think that we should welcome it. We don't have to give them credit because it's what they're supposed to do, but we should welcome it and we should support it. It's like I said earlier, a sad, horrifically sad, unfortunate situation that we find ourselves in. But if they, if Starbucks wants to do this, if these companies want to do this, I I think we should absolutely support them because- the bottom line is, however, we get there, we, we get have there. to make yeah. and create safe places. Basically. I, I, I
2: and do. And, hope, and though, I want to also. They're, when they're, mm-hmm. Oh, I and was going to say, I hope. Ho- oh, go ahead. Yeah, go I ahead. was going to say, I hope that when they're thinking this through, though, it's like Roe v. Wade is all about what? The right to privacy, right? I just hope that women somehow, as these companies are doing this, which they should, as you said, yes, we're, this is, it is what it is. They should be doing this, that there is thought put into protecting privacy. I really do
0: absolutely but and i also want to point out that like in terms of like wh- how meaningful it is starbucks and amazon are both very big employers and not of just C-suite executives, right? Which is somehow sometimes what we think of when we think of these big companies. They're they're employers of like, you know, minimum wage workers who who might who actually need this kind of benefit, right? So um, so it is like meaningful when we look at it just on a sheer like numbers front. Amazon being, I think, the biggest employer in the country, maybe second only to Walmart, or maybe they're maybe they've surpassed Walmart at this point. Um, Okay, so and then the final dumb thing in the cultural grab bag uh, is that uh, McDonald's and Del Taco and a couple other places are offering deals tied to Mercury being in retrograde. They're basically jumping on the bandwagon of um, astrology in their marketing, which is just weird. McDonald's is offering a Chicken McChicken or McDouble with the purchase of medium fries exclusively in the McDonald's app on May 10th and 11th, which I guess w- is when Mercury specifically doing whatever, whatever retrograde, li- retrogradeishly. Um, So I don't know. What do you think of this dumb phenomenon?
1: I, I, I'll just say, I think if someone starts talking to me about astrology, I get so turned off by them. I get, I immediately shut it down. I shut it. I go, that's stupid. I don't want to do it. I don't want to talk to you about that. I, I think it's stupid. I hate it. I'm sorry. And I know that's not cool or fair because it's fun and probably nobody's getting hurt. Uh, but I, I just can't stand it. It's just well, such we a just, of science. We just had US.
0: Neil deGrasse Tyson on and I thought it would be fun. There was like another piece about astrology and he was just like, it's bullshit, whatever. But also it's kind of fun to talk about. You know what I mean? He kind of like had. But, you know, and again, I want, <laughs> I, want to, I want to come out on the side of uh, kind of like the himbo I'm okay with corporations having fun because Dole is getting into... Um, this astrology conversation by having 12 salad recipes for each of the 12 signs of the Zodiac. So, for example, Aquarians are clever, unique. Glasses have full individuals who add a breath of fresh air to any situation, which is why they've been assigned a watermelon and shaved ricotta salad with mint. Uh,
1: disgusting,
0: Um, first of all. What? That sounds delicious. First of all, mint in any salad. Please add it. Folks, you don't know what you're missing. You're a
1: sociopath and you've just admitted it. Oh my
2: God. Don't talk to me like I'm a Scorpio. So the night that i That's gave me. birth to my first kid i went yeah. to the hospital and i was sent home even though like i was like in labor i'd been induced and yeah. they're like you know what there's a full moon tonight and like the so the the the, the delivery ward is full and i'm like what the fu-? like what is i'm at cornell wait, wait really is that literally really? yeah yeah they're like there's a full moon and it's like no nope. it's and the it's just like something is in the moon and i'm like yeah you're like a what? <laughs> like I had to go home and wait until the, <laughs> there was more room at Cornell for me to go back and give birth under a full moon. Um, and so I do feel like we we as a society do enjoy blame, blaming things on planets because like they can't really talk back to us yet. Even though I feel like they're probably <laughs> going to have the final word at some point. You know the way that <laughs> we're seeing um, yeah. a salad does sound delicious. I I like you, Pete. I'm not into. Signs. If you ask me, like someone said that, like, oh, your son is a Sagittarius. Go, Sag. I'm like, I literally don't know what that means. I just know that, like, I'm a Cancer, and apparently that means I'm a disaster of a person. Um. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you know what? I'm, yeah,
2: I'm the same. At I'm you, the same I've way about said it. That. She's a yeah. disaster. Most of a people person. do. <laughs> Most people do. Like my salad would be like a very, very delicate. Like it would be something. It would be like a dandelion seed. Oh, you would. I was, was gonna say, like would you fall. have flowers? Would you be the yes. kind that have edible flowers on your yeah, salad? We, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it wouldn't be. It would just mm-hmm. be the seed that, like, with the smallest gust of wind, it just like scatters everywhere.
1: Oh, I never, I never want to eat with either of you.
2: <laughs> we have been uninvited from
0: Pete's uh, lunch list. All right, folks. Uh, let me know what is your signs salad. Um, all right. Folks, that is the end of the show. And oh, Pete and Rebecca, you really outdid yourselves. I had such a wonderful time. Uh, and what I really want is for people to be able to support you and all the wonderful work that you do. Pete, where do they do that?
1: Well, I'll be hosting Fake the Nation when Nagin's <laughs> Zoom <laughs> breaks the next episode. Uh, and uh, And listen to my podcast every day. I'm there. Uh, stand up with Pete Dominic And June 11th. I'll be with Ophira Eisenberg and Christian Finnegan in in, in Fair in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, the Fairfield Connecticut Comedy Club.
0: Um, absolutely, go see that again. All three of the people on that lineup are Fake the Nation alums, so you already love the show. Now all you
2: have to do is just physically go there. Uh, Rebecca, where do people find you? Yeah, I agree, by the way. Pete's an excellent heir apparent to the hosting gig of, of this podcast. So keep him in mind, he did well. Um, and you can find me, you know, my, my new book is out, very freshly out. It's called The Modern Loss Handbook, An Interactive Guide to Moving Through Grief and Building Your Resilience. It's literally the book that I wish that someone had handed to me, um, not just in the days, but in the months and actual years um, after my mom died. Uh, I think it's something that can really actually help help you. It's not scary. It's got a lot of humor in it. I don't bite. Um, And I really, you know, hope you give it a whirl. And I'm also very findable on modernloss.com, where we have a big global community with lots and lots of free content.
0: Folks, absolutely. Buy this book and, and and also the modern lost community is, is so vibrant and great and useful. Uh, and so definitely check out the new book by Rebecca Sofer. And folks, you know where to find me and all the stuff that I do. I'm going to be again at, P- at Joe's Pub on May 21st and May 22nd. I'm going to be in Salt Lake City on June 24th. I looked up the dates on my own website. Uh, Salt Lake City for the Wait Wait stand-up tour on June 24th. And I'm going to be in Denver for the Wait, Wait stand-up tour on June 25th. And I'm going to be at Solid Sound um, during um, Memorial Weekend, uh, that Saturday of the Memorial Weekend at Mass Mocha, that's uh, Wilco's Solid Sound Festival. And what I would really like to do is thank all of the wonderful people that make this show a possibility. That's our fantastic producer, Danielle Jones, Wesley, our amazing sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar. Our theme music was written by the inimitable Gabi Alter. And as always, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. You can email us at fakethenation at headgum.com. You can join the Patreon for bonus content. Uh, We just uh, put up an episode about uh, the the ridiculous perks that uh, tech, Companies are offering for people to come back to work is a really fun episode. Um, so check that out. And you can you can join Patreon at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad, and we will be back in your earballs next week.
1: That was a hit gum podcast.